My name is George Oliver. Just want to share a couple of thoughts about an era in King George lore that many people may not know about. As a young kid, I was first exposed to the Sandlot baseball among black players that was prevalent in all communities. Today, we're going to have the opportunity to speak with five people from that generation that played in those leagues and share their story. Sandlot baseball was actually one of the high and most frequented entertainment opportunities for black players, their families within the community. And today, we look forward to speaking with them and letting them share their story of those times as a part of King George history. This is Marcia Stonehill with Melt the Ice. Today on Operation Flow, in honor of Black History Month, the King George NAACP presents a group of formal local sandlot baseball players who played and provided entertainment within our community. Joining us today are Royal Burnett, Kelly Jefferson, Stanley Jefferson, Walt Garnett, and Ron Lewis. Our moderators will include George Tolliver, and Willie Fitzhugh. Gentlemen, thank you for being with us today on Operation Flow. Thank you for having us. Okay, I want to welcome everybody um, to, to the uh, session. You know what, I, I was thinking, <clears throat> you know, as, as a little kid, there was a field put up right next to me, uh, the, the infield was on the neighbor's property, the outfield was on uh, my parents' property. Um, and, you know, a fence was built, the grass was dug out in the, in the, we used to call it dragging on the infield, and the outfield was grass. And it had such a great impact on me as a, as a young kid, and, and I can assure you that I watched uh, you all play, uh, you know, as I was a little kid. And that impact of sports played a, a great deal into, you know, what I became as a, as a person and certainly as an athlete. So let's open up and, and start about, like, where did each of you play your first sandlot baseball? And how was that experience that you came into it? And tell us a little bit about the particular areas that you were um, what? Okay. Uh, I started, it was a, a ball field. I, I live right in Cricket's Corner, one mile out of King George Club. And uh, uh, the owner of Robert Dawson, he had a, uh, well, we called it a beer garden back then. And uh, and he made a, a baseball field. And, and we were named the King George Hornets. And this was in 1955. Uh, I was 15 years old. But uh, during my, say, pre-teen years, I always played with men because 
what they have hot dogs, hamburgers, and uh, coleslaw and baked beans. I never forget that. And uh, it it was uh, then once a year we used to go to New Jersey and play baseball. And uh, that was about it. it. It was just fun time, really, back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, and by the way, I do remember Lorton because you know, I played, only played Stanley about one year. And uh, well, I, let's see, I was on the team. I don't know if I played a whole lot, but I was on the team. And I remember sure. the experience of going to Lorton. Uh, that had a, uh, yeah. Yeah. an impact. You know, that was Lorton Church. Yeah. Yep, that's yeah. right. Uh, yeah. So Stanley, how about you? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm probably the the youngest on the phone here, for the other guys are considered 73 years old, so I kind of kind of followed them up, you know. I kind of came into play after they left uh, the team, uh, I guess the Port Royal 88, came over to where Clarence Campbell was managing the team, the, the Virginia Art Club at that time. And I'm thinking this time frame was somewhere around 1965. Right? 64, 65, and there were some whole level players that came over from, you know, Court Royal 88, the team that uh, uh, Love Holmes, the manager from over in, uh, in Essex County, brought the team over there, so when they broke up, Clarence Campbell took over the team, and at that time, we were sort of picking up from from that team, and we had some younger players, and some of their whole older, holdover players from that team, as I recall, were, uh, you know, guys like Alfred Harris, uh, Alan Baylor, and, you know, they were getting older, so the younger crew, which were college players, and we were playing in college at that time, so basically, when you got out of college, you know, when you came home, you didn't have any college players to play in, so we just played with the uh, Sandlot team. And then we had guys that went college and walked on the song. Walk was on that team. Uh, we had Billy and Sonny Bird from over in Port Royal. And uh, we just got together. We played with the old guys. Uh, uh, so basically, things were sort of opened up a little bit at that time. Uh, we had uh, scouts that used to come around and take a peek at you, like. Uh, Dick Bowie at that time was a scout for the uh, Boston Orioles. So, yeah, we just got together at that time and played uh, and had fun with the older guys. And, uh, and that's kind of, you know, I remember watching the old Port Royal Ace when I was like uh, 12, 13 years old. My sister was right across the road from the team. And I can remember some things like, you know, they give you 25 cents for hunting the baseball. So, you know, we were playing, so we actually, <laughs> with, with, with turning a lot of balls, we were taking for ourselves because we wanted to play with them. So, you know, some of those things I remember watching older guys and kind of remembering, mimicking how they played. And I had an uncle named Spencer Whiting. He used to play with the Port Royal 88 and he played third base. And that's kind of how I followed him and, I started playing baseball. I started out as a third baseman. Remember all the old guys. There are a lot of names that I remember, such as, you know, Buddy Smith. And there was yep. Jack Campbell. There was Alfred Harris. There was, you know, all, all the old players that you watched 
they were real good players. And uh, I just remember that, that being a good experience and having a lot of fun. Love baseball, and I still do. So that's just kind of my experience on, on the tail end of, of, of the older fellows that, that went ahead with Mm-hmm. And you you mentioned in there, uh, yeah, I remember, you know, here's Spence down at third base. You couldn't get a thing by him uh, if you tried. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, the, you know, those are the guys I grew up with, too, you know, him and Muddy Smith. So, Walt, you were, you're sort of the transitional. Stanley just mentioned you, and um, I think you played on probably multiple teams. Uh, give us a little bit about where you played your experiences. Uh, hey, uh, George, when those guys mentioned the old guys, I was one of the older guys. I came back with, with those guys like in 56, 57. And of course, you know, I was born and raised down in Essex County. And so coming to King George County and Westmoreland County playing with this guy, it was reclamation for me. And it's so funny that he mentioned the fact that, you know, the old Port Law 88, and of course I remember so well, going to Long, playing up there in the, playing the prisoners, and of course, you know, back then, you, know, you didn't get any slides, you slid with your feet, you know. I slid into third base and my spikes came up. And man, that was a no-no. <laughs> and from then on, you know, I kept my spikes down because this guy says, hey, you don't come in here like that. But but I just want to tell I just want to tell Rob where that and Kelly. With me playing shortstop, I saved a lot of games for you guys. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> I, I got it. <laughs> 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 and look, I, re- I remember some some ball players. You know, they always want to be look outstanding. They go to the bat and they, you think they're going hit, to hit, hit a ball a mile. And they might get one hit a month. But, you know, they <laughs> had those pretty things. <laughs> <laughs> one hit a month. But I'll tell you something, man. I started out with Mr. Love Holmes because th- these guys know I was dating his granddaughter, Yvonne. So, yeah, old I remember that. I, I was gonna say that. That's why. That's why you came to uh, King George. <laughs> yes. So, so I, was, I was a little country, but but anyway. Hey, Stanley, man, you guys remind me so much. It was so much. It was reclamation. I couldn't wait for a serious Sunday to come and play baseball, and I guess that baseball done for me. That baseball connected me with a lot of people. Of course, you know, I had family down in Oak Grove at the Bird Boards, you know, with my cousins, and we used to go down to Oak Grove and play. But but just coming to King George, playing with you guys, and guys from Mexico County would come to King George, and I can remember my buddy Willie Sale used to come over to King George and go with the Grimes, and every time he'd go to Grimes, you know, it was something, you know, he could go, but with me, I knew all the baseball players. Like I said, it was Muddy Smith, uh, uh, Alfred Harris, uh, 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 Spencer White. But I'll tell you, but Spencer White, people didn't realize Spencer White was a heck of a baseball player. And Spencer kept something in his pocket that no one realized when he had his back pocket. 
played, uh, uh, Kelly State was going to New Jersey because Mr. Holmes had some friends up in New Jersey, man. We'd go up to New Jersey on a Friday and play a Friday night, a Saturday and Sunday. It was Sandlot Baseball. We played all the good teams. And huh? We had some fun. Wow, man. Oh, I had fun. Yeah. And let me tell you something. And you mentioned one of my, and I've often said this to George, because I played shortstop and this guy, Jack Campbell, taught me more about baseball. Jack Campbell was probably one of the better baseball players I've ever played with. But the Sandlot baseball back then just connected everybody. And you know, Friday Saturday, that was the thing to do. And then we would get through playing across the street with George's place. Of course, I was like 17 years old then, because I could sneak over to Brian's. <laughs> and then after Brian's closed, my buddy, we would go down to Oak Grove because we played the bird boys down there. So I had a little connection in and uh, King George, Old Grove, and then of course my cousin went to uh, A.T. Johnson, then Richmond County. Now in high school, I played against all my cousins in high school. Then when we got over, you know, we played Sandlot Baseball. That Sandlot Baseball just drew people together. It was a reparation back then for us. And our cousin, and it was absolutely just just brought me closer to uh, to King George, Westmoreland County, and Texas County. Uh, but it's just the fact that knowing that you guys send these things that I'm listening to you guys understand. Gosh, they were all in the age. That's how it started. And and then later on after that. I remember Percy uh, Harvey, we would go over there and play back up in Jersey there. Percy Harvey had a team back there. But then, like you said, it was overdyed with, with me and um, Alfred and Farmer and Farmer's uh, brother. Uh, uh, um, yeah, but listen, back then, those days, satellite baseball, it was a thing you do on the weekend. It just connected people. And I am so proud. You know, the community, everybody in the community came out to watch you play ball, too. And it, and it's like, uh, you know, wherever you went, your home home people weren't with you, and, they, and the people had their crowd. It was, oh, it was yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, look, I, just, I got one thing to say. I can all remember this. Like, we didn't have no more about five or six bats. And all of them was heavy. You had you picked up all five, <laughs> five bats to try to get the lightest one. Do <laughs> y'all remember that? Yeah. And most of them were taped up. Most of them were broken taped up. Oh, yeah. Hey, Ron. Hey, right. Hey, Ron. Hey, I got to shoot up with you. Hey, George even told me that he found out something about you, about me that all said. I'm not sure it was Ron though, but I think the person is on this call, but you go ahead, you go ahead and tell him. Yeah, uh, I was a tight guy, man. I sweat a lot in those old wool uniforms, but after I got through sweating, I had my little washcloth, 
Louis Johnson, you know, maybe became the sheriff. I think he was the manager that team.
I got a few names. I, I got John Ferguson. I oh, like yeah. And I got uh, Ralph Holmes. Really? Yeah. And I remember from Caroline, Earl Richards. I know y'all remember. Oh, man. Oh, what a book. Oh, yeah. Uh, Floyd Parker. Yeah, Floyd. Floyd. And, uh, yeah. I, uh, I'm going. Yeah. Oh, man, I forgot about those guys. Yeah. 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 What about it? Hey, listen, do you remember a guy named uh, um, Charles McGuire from downtown Atlanta? McGuire, right. Oh, uh, you know? The Harris, yeah. Harris Boys. Yeah. And you remember uh, from Spots Rain, Red Robin? You know, you had yeah, the. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, you had the Freeman Boys, Alpha Coleman, Emmett Wright, all those guys. Baseball game 
And there's one particular team in New York that, that he really loved. But how, how do you think uh, some you know guys didn't get scouted and they didn't get opportunity? You know, that just wasn't afforded to, to blacks um, and during that time period. And you know and that was pretty universal across the country. How do you think now with your baseball knowledge and what you've you've seen and, and players over the last few decades? How do you think? Some of the names that uh, you mentioned would stack up and include yourselves in that narrative. Yeah, and then you had Ed George. Uh, I was thinking about the same thing. You know, you know, I think the major league draft didn't come about to probably around 1963. So, and all of these players that we watched during that time, and I got a chance to watch a lot of them when I was younger. You know, all the names that we mentioned, Marty Smith and etc. Nothing. They have to leave out anybody. But they really, I think they would have been good enough to get a shot, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, but during that time, for whatever reason, scouts weren't around, and these guys didn't get an opportunity to get an opportunity to play. But, you know, because they kind of missed their time, so he just went out and played. I remember a guy from down in Kilmore named Roy Cox. <laughs> I mean, this guy could blow the ball. And when, they, when Dick Bowie found him, he was a scout for the Orioles. Office. And when he found him, he played with Dick Bowie's team, but he probably was 40 years old then. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think he was just like mowing down every player that was, you know, around him. And, and But he was, he was just, when he got him, he was just too old. So, you know, I think they missed that opportunity because of the error that they played in where, you know, obviously blacks weren't scouted. And so during my era, around the 64, 65, 66 era, there were opportunities. Uh, I got an opportunity. Of course, Al Bummer got signed. Walter Harris got signed by Dick Bullitt. But things were opening up at that time. So if you had any talent, you would be given an opportunity. Yeah, damn, yeah. Next level. But those guys really didn't get a chance. I think Eddie Boy got got a chance. He did get, uh, I think, Pittsburgh Pirates drafted him. But it just wasn't there for so many of those older athletes during that time, just because of the time that they grew up. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. I got an opportunity, and, and there were other players within an area that got, got opportunities, but they just didn't get it. Yeah, I think, yes, I think some of them were good enough to get to that next level. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate as we, you know, chronicle things and we look back on things that uh, during the period, uh, during that period, uh, certainly pre-Jackie Robinson, okay, and, and we'll, we'll probably put that as the cutoff line that there's so many talented people that did not get the opportunity to be looked at, okay, that were extremely talented and could have could have made it. And, and that's just a universal thing. But that's, you know, that goes to the core of, you know, part of what we talk about that um, when we're talking about justices and inequalities and all that, that's a within our sport, within the sport of baseball, that just reflects that that has been going on. And you know, the, the loss is not just to the individual, but to the communities and to the sport in general. Because quite frankly, 
the sport would have been better had opportunities come across at an earlier time. Um, you know, from a, from a from the talent standpoint. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, so how about Clarence Campbell? Oh man, he, he was. I remember him. He was. He played ball also, but then he he was one of my first managers, Ribbon. Him and Isaiah Williams. Uh, they had me at the at King George Hornets. Uh, I come along under them. Uh, Robert Dawson. He was from Spotsylvania, but he was the owner. But uh, Clarence, we called him Digmo at the time, but he was an ideal man. Uh, Oliver Fortune, he had me with the Porter 88, down below home. Uh, and I tell you, I, uh, I was under some real, real nice guys. I mean, they played baseball prior to coaching and management, and uh, they were just ideal, like that Ron Daddy, A.B. Lewis. They didn't just talk to you. They, they more or less would like drive it into you how good you could be. And man, that, that's, where I, that's where I learned my most that, you know, with those guys. You know, they were, they were decent, loving human beings, man. That's it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know that that leadership is really really important. And did they did yeah. they have to finance things also? I mean, like, I mean, you had to have uniforms, you had to have balls and bats. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we had uniforms. They raised money. Uh, to, you know, we had to have different things to buy uniforms with and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, there was some hot uniforms, but. We had fun. We didn't pay them. We didn't all we got them. We just had fun. I got one more thing to say. As uh, long as we played baseball, you can count how many double plays we turned. All the time you turn a double play, it would be if a, if the ball hit back to the pitcher and he went to second, he went and the guy went to first. Like, or at that shortstop and second base, and they couldn't turn a double play. <laughs> do y'all remember that? Do y'all remember that? Yeah. yeah. Hey, Kelly, is this you? Yeah, I remember man. Jack Campbell. I remember Jack Campbell for what told me all the time. Show me how to turn the double play. Doing a ball game, we never turn one. Never turn a double play. Oh, my goodness. That's right. Hey, look. Remember, Jack Cameron always had that big glove. Do you remember that one? That big, had that right. big black, had that big black glove. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, but how about that? Jimmy was a hell of a catcher. Who was that? Jimmy Bushard. Yeah. Oh, Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy. Achilles never got dirty behind the plate. <laughs> He was the cleanest catcher I've ever played with. <laughs> Jimmy? Jimmy Bushrod? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy was a hell of a No, 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 no. I'm thinking about Gilly Brown. I'm thinking about Gilly yeah. Brown. Yeah. Or Gilly Brown. Yeah. All right. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm talking about Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Bushrod. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy and Pop Tyler throw the ball back to you harder than you throw it to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Elmo was a hell of a ball player. You put his way, you 
that, they would bring you up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Hey, would you say that Al Bowman was the fastest player that you ever saw play baseball in this group? Well, you know, yeah. you know what? Yeah. His, bro- his brother Leroy was faster than Al. I couldn't say the front. Hey, yeah. wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, Ron. It was a guy down in... Uh, it was a guy down down uh, down at Pluto there. He's called the fastest guy I played against. Who was that guy? Cy Jackson. Oh yeah, that's right, Cy Jackson. Yeah, Cy and Bunny both. Yeah, Cy was smart, man. He would I thank you, make you do stuff with a ball, and next thing you look, he was gone. You know, yeah, yeah you were right, Cy Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Chester yeah. Lewis. Chester was a hell of a ball player. Chester Lewis. Yeah, all those guys. All those guys helped me, man. I'm gonna tell you right now. And I, I didn't make no whole lot of fun to blame on, but I sure had a whole lot of fun. Right. <laughs> we we, we <laughs> go over to Southern Maryland, play for Monkey, play for Monkey, Randy Wine. And we, after the ball game, we just had had a lot of fun. We hit all the clubs. Yeah, but me and Rob used to tie Rob be playing down on uh, Rob's Hill and all down there. Yeah. And we used to come down through there. We get tied up. Everybody wants to see me and Rob pitch against each other. Yeah, me and Rob. When I came back from Germany, when I came back from Germany and said goodbye, all I could hear was that whole one of me and Rob talk. I want to see you and Rob talk. <laughs> and and now. Uh, Oh, we hooked them two or three times that next summer. Yeah, man. I, I told you, I didn't make no money, but God knows I had some fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, I, 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 I saw a lot of that. <laughs> I saw a lot of that fun. <laughs> hey, Rob. And Walker had some fun. God, no, Rob. Hey, Rob, did I tell you something? Of course, you know, I have my cousins down there in Oak Grove. I used to play baseball with you. And on a Saturday night, I looked up at this guy's at a place called John Richards. Remember that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was Rob Hill. Yeah. That was Rob Hill where John Richards' place was. He was calling that Rob Hill. Rob, Rob Hill. Hill. <laughs> That's where the bird boys hung out at. And John Richards had about five daughters, I think he was chasing all five of them. Yeah, that's why Rob, that's why, hey, that's why Rob couldn't play in King George no more. He had to go to West Mobile. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey guys, let me, let me ask you a question. If you would always do a lot of reflection and introspection, if you could, if you had the shot to do it all over again, okay, if you had the opportunity, uh, in any way, what would you change about your, uh, you know, your journey when you were playing playing my baseball during that period? I, I could, I, I, I really, well, that's a question there, but I don't think I would change too much not playing baseball. Man, I've met a lot of people. I had a lot of fun and Wow, man, what can I, and I didn't get hurt, you know, so, what can I say? Yeah. Yeah.
baseball uh, that's part of our statement right there. It was, okay. it was a lot of fun. And and the thing about it, I think everybody that played baseball, they enjoyed playing it. Did you look forward to to the weekend coming, right? So right. so you could play baseball. Yeah. And uh like you say, if you had to do it over again, you may may would change a few things, like like you know, we used to do a lot of drinking. I put it like that. Maybe I wouldn't drink if I if I redid it again. You know what I'm saying? But all than that, I, there's no change to be made. Mm-hmm. I can't see it now. But George, George, like I said earlier, it was reparation for me. I mean, I was like I said, I look forward to Saturday and Sunday coming playing baseball, man, because it was something that. I love doing and if people love watching you do it and people enjoy you doing so as far as I'm concerned, I don't think anything that I would change. Absolutely not. Absolutely. Because that baseball connected me with a lot of people that I wouldn't been connected with. And even like yeah. today, I hear, you know, you know, I'm connected to these guys right here because of that little twine on that baseball. So I wouldn't change anything. To be honest yeah. with you. Yeah, the socialization part was definitely there, and as you guys are saying, fun. And I mentioned the field that was right next door to where I lived. It was a lot of fun on the weekends when there were home games. For me, it was not any fun on the weekends where the team was away because I wasn't old enough to, you know, get to the other places on my own at that time. So, you know, just from a from a spectator standpoint, and you know, just being part of the. <laughs> the, the sports community I always look forward to the games too and uh, there was a, a high level of disappointment when uh, you know when the team was away and uh, that, that certainly speaks to the community uh, involvement uh, Marcia did you have no go ahead well, let me ask you another question after those games was over with did you ever speak across 301 so you're getting me in trouble now, but I'm going to stand up and just go ahead and be honest because, yeah, I was a little kid, but yeah, when, when the game ended on, on one side of the highway and everybody went across the street, even yeah. though I wasn't supposed to go over there, I must admit that, yep, I sure did go over there because, uh, let's just say I was I was excited and enthused by the, the, the players and I figured, well, if the players are going over there, I'm going to go over there too. Yeah, that was, uh, you, you were a little younger than that, I think, 
old though, Kelly. <laughs> right. I remember when Irene had the had the girl team. Had the girl team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that came later. Yeah. Okay. That's later. Yeah. The girls, the girls team was a little bit later. Uh, right. But right. they started out a men's group because they had the backstop and they had built okay. the fence up along the yeah. along the line and uh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Martha, did you have any? I I do want to have I a couple. One thing. Hmm. So go ahead. I I I didn't even know about cursing until I saw man baseball. I was cursed on a minute day, so I learned a lot too. If you did for you, if you didn't, they cursed you. So that's a shame. Who was that? That royal? Uh huh? Was was that royal? He said he learned yeah. cursing. Okay. Yeah, I learned to curse then. Oh yeah. man! But it, it it was it was great, great growing up, and and uh, we did well with what we had. That's right. Yeah, one of the things that I I mentioned uh, with, with someone was that you know we had home life, and you know, we had school and the importance and values of education. Uh, church was a big part, religion was a big part of, you know, it was all coming through that era, and sports was like the other ent- entity that we had, so those are like the main force that's coming through uh, within the black community, you know, during that time period, and I think those of you and myself included that were fortunate enough to have a sports connection, even through playing or through spectating, association with it, you know, I think if we got those four things, then we had a good catalyst and a good foundation for, to, you know, grow up as as young men. And I think the fact that we're all here today and we can all appreciate the one thing that said it was fun, we enjoyed it, and because that's, that's one of the really unique bonds that sports has, along with the disciplines and everything that goes with it. Fun is definitely a big part of that. Yeah. I want to add that I, I'm, I'm thankful for the NAACP and the big work that they've done to help us in our fight for equality because uh, NAACP has been very instrumental in, in, in getting us, well, pushing us forward, bringing us forward. And it's a, it's a great institution and I, I love the NAACP. My father was a member. And, and uh, it was just a very vital organization for for us. I want to say that. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah, and that association certainly has uh, has been forward moving and, and helped help guide us all through the struggles and the disappointments and, and kept uh, a positive tone and tenor for it. And I, mean, I always respect the leadership because that's not... That's not easy duty. I think that's tough duty. And uh, a lot of the people that uh, get a lot of the groundwork and continue to do it, I mean, we stand on their shoulders right now. You know, they, they exactly. right. the work that they've done really continues to carry us. And uh, that, that's extremely important. That uh, we kind of keep the message alive and keep this thing moving forward because uh, I mean, it can never be any 
going backwards and there can never be any quit associated with that. That's right. It's true. Uh, yeah. I'll turn it back to you. So, um, I think I heard somebody say that the youngest one in this conversation is 73, and I'm curious if the oldest one is willing to share what their age is. emphasize for our listeners, uh, especially because you do speak with so much joy as you reminisce about being a part of the Sandlot baseball players. And because this is Black History Month, um, I want to emphasize for our listeners that this was all happening in a time when our nation was accepting serious disrespect and hatred and segregation as a norm, and that the inequality was unspeakable um, as far as what you were enduring and the adversity that you were pushing through. And I just don't want our listeners to be deluded by your, your ability to push through this adversity and forget that Yes, we have come a long way, but we do have a lot further to go, and we do need to keep continuing to push forward for more for more equality and greater awareness. And I'm so thankful for everything that you have shared today. But um, one of the questions I was wondering about, you said you did travel to New Jersey. Did I understand that right? Yeah, yeah. And then I'm wondering, because this also is a time that it wasn't necessarily safe to travel, right? You say, I say that again, I didn't get that. This was also at a time that it was not necessarily safe for black people to travel. Am I correct on that? And so... We never had any problem traveling to New Jersey. I don't think it was a problem traveling. Good. Now we knew. Well, we knew, we knew where, where 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 we were going, and we went there pretty much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But we, you know, we knew where to stop. You know, stuff like that. You know, it, it was it was no danger to us like that. You know. And uh, I, 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 I,
it was a probably a lot easier going north than it would have been going south. Right. Oh, yeah. That was a big concern, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like regardless, it still took some thoughtful consideration and planning. Uh, and that's just something that I want our listeners to remain aware of as we were listening to you share. I was talking with a friend of mine today who, who told me about a story about uh, a guy was in Carolina, I believe it was, and they went into jail and and this black guy, and they hung him in jail, and this was in Carolina, and I, I just found, I said, wow, it did what? They they hung him, you know, of course, sheriff went along with it, with, with what, they, what they were doing, but they hung this black guy in jail. So, that shows you just the, the, who they are, who they are, you know, you, like that couldn't happen. I never heard of anything like that happening. But this is in Carolina. Well, and they hung this guy. And this is the insanity of the adversity that was going on around you. And regardless, you found ways to bring uh, uniformity and joy and pleasure into your lives. And it certainly exudes and models fortitude and leadership and opportunity opportunity and wisdom, which is what Operation Flow stands for, you know, in, in the most extreme of circumstances that most of us cannot even begin to imagine. And, um, That's right. Well, that one kind of floored me. I, said, I, I just couldn't believe it. I said, I never heard of anything like that. Well, you know, when when black people traveled a lot back then, you know, they would carry their own food. It it wasn't like that. They depended on stopping at a restaurant, top food. You had had your own food with you. I really appreciate you sharing that. Again, I appreciate you sharing that. Willie has been quietly on here, and, and I think he has a perspective because Willie is—he he just remembers a lot of stuff about it. And uh, Willie, chime in. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Being the only non-athlete on this call, and in the previous conversations that George and I have had about this subject, I knew it was going to be good because of the people that agreed to be on the call, and I thank you. And I thank you for everything you said that's documented now. And what you've really done a great job is laying out what is prevalent or what was prevalent in the black community back in that day. You had unity. Everything was about community. All adults had the same rights as your parents did. If they told you something, you better do it. Because if your parents found out that you didn't, then you were going to pay for it. There was mentoring. All of you have talked about that, about how the older people, the older ball players, mentored the younger ball players. That's something that the media says today doesn't exist in the black community. 
people communicated. You knew when you were traveling where to stop. You knew where not to stop. You could use someone else's property back then and have a ball field or have some other type of activity. You didn't have to worry about it. The police didn't bother you. Uh, I got a lot of fun out of listening to, uh, I think it was Kelly that talked about the frying the chicken sandwiches. I mean, all those things, you don't hear that now. The younger generation knows nothing about that kind of unity. And for you guys to document that so that the future generations can hear it, it's just been a great asset. And I think it's a, 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 a real tribute to Marsha and the NAACP for documenting those types of things. Well, I am grateful. Amen. Yes, very grateful for this conversation today. And I know that it will uh, be very enlightening to many listeners and hopefully very inspiring and remind us all of the importance of community. So uh, unless there's any or are there any final words that each of you would like to say in honor of Black History Month or do we want to wrap up here? Go around the horn, Ron. Well, I, I would just like to say that I, I think that as uh, black men and women, we have to take more of a responsibility for our youth because I see so much, so many things happening, I, and I, it just blows my mind. I can't say, I, I said, I just can't believe that this is happening, you know, especially kids with guns killed. You know, they take a life like it's not even real. And I, I, that just breaks my heart. I, I just can't believe. I think that all of us, you know, men, we have to be, look out for our kids because a lot of them don't have, they have might have a mother, but they don't have a father. And we need to take an interest in our youth because a lot of them, are, are, you know, it's, you know, they, they're just, leaving here they're dying at an early age and that's because of the last of lack of uh parenting i guess you know you have one and they they just that one is not enough you know men we need to take well take care to look out for men uh women and men uh young boys you know uh because there's too much there's too, there's too much
It, it just got to be something done. We don't make them and we don't sell them. So you know where we're getting them from. Mm-hmm. So that's all I had to say about that. Uh, well, uh, the only thing I can add to that, I had to piggyback on some of the things they said, but it's hard to come to a, a real conclusion on the problem because it, it bleeds in from so many different directions. If, if you go to correct somebody, uh, no telling what may happen to you. Uh, it's, it's very difficult. Uh, you can talk to the children, and a lot of times they'll laugh at you. Or you, you can talk to some of them, and they can add live to what you are saying. But then they'll still go out and do these things. So it, this is a society. Uh, uh, it's a system, you know. And what can you say? You know, like before I add this, before I could go out and play baseball when I was 15, 16, I had to go to church first. And then we could go and play ball, but uh, now, uh, you know, they don't even go to the just be a miracle to some children because the parents don't believe in it. So what what do you do? uh, What do you say? That's me. Uh, Stanley? We had a foundation. We had a family foundation. 
we ate together, we've done everything together, we went to church together. At this day and time, this generation, they don't have that foundation. Because my grandmother always said, foundation. I was just, well, I'm not building a house, I don't need a foundation. But now I knew exactly what she meant then. We have values, it's a foundation. But this day and time, like Stanley said, I mean, you can't go to the parents now and tell them something about their kids. Oh, you kidding me? They didn't do this, didn't do that. But it's just something has gone wrong that we don't have the family values that we had growing up. It's a different lifestyle. And so what do you do? Uh, it's the peer pressure with the kids. It's it's the family. It's the fact that in school, that my one of my friends took to school. And she was trying to tell this kid to do this and that. And you can't tell me this and that. The government said I could do this and do that. It's just the fact that everything has changed. And I don't know what we do. I actually really don't know. Yeah, don't know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Willie. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to what everyone else has said. I would only say to all of you, it was a pleasure to watch you display your talent on the baseball field. And it was even a greater pleasure to listen to you reminisce about it and to see the camaraderie that's still between you all these years later. And I wish you all the best of health. God bless you and thank you for participating. Okay. Thank you, Willie. Uh, I'll just, I'll convey uh, one final thought before I turn it back to Marcia to close, is that uh, I didn't know I was gonna have so much fun and joy uh, before this call uh, uh, that we had on here. I think one of the, the key things uh, that I think about with this call is that uh, the connectivity of uh, good quality people, uh, their thoughts, their hearts, their soul, even though we're miles and miles apart, uh, there was certainly a unified uh, message and feeling and vibe that came out of this today. Uh, and I appreciate everyone, I appreciate Marcia uh, allowing me the opportunity to uh, bring everyone on and the trust that went into that. Um, as it relates to Black History Month, I, I would just say Black History Month uh, to me is a celebration. It's a celebration that represents uh, many, many things. And I look at all those in a positive way. I'm a never quit guy. And I think one of the things that I would say is I would, would never quit remembering uh, the people that came before me and the shoulders that I stand on, and that includes those of you on the call, because I looked up to you all. Um, I never quit caring. You know, I think we could, the one thing that we can do when we're searching for answers is we can uh, care, be compassionate, think more about the we and the us, and not so much as you know what's my right or what I'm allowed to do, uh, because this is a collective universe that we live in and one person's right that has a great infringement on other people does not make it right um i think we should never quit on loving okay there's a power and uh, harmonious components that comes from loving hearts and as long as we continue to do that uh we can 
uh, at least fight against the evils that other people may have or the reflections that uh, may come from others, but that's a part of the celebration of Black History Month also. So I think the biggest thing is that we can keep hope alive. As long as we don't quit with our thoughts, as long as we don't quit on what our hearts say, and as long as we don't quit on positivity, then hope is something that we can always uh, contain and retain. So it's a pleasure uh, for me to be on this. Um, and Marsha, I'll turn it back to you. And I say thank to both, thanks to both of you. To all of you, all of us. Hey, George, can I say one thing? Sure. Uh, I just feel as though today that I've been inducted into the Sandlot Baseball Hall of Fame. And <laughs> me and listen to you guys. Hey, man, what was the pleasure just to burn it? Kelly, Stanley, and Ron, just listen to you guys and knowing deep down in our hearts and what we went through and what we experienced, man. This meant so much today to me. And I just want to say, God bless you guys. Thank you. God bless you, you guys, also for me. You know, may, may continue the best. Well, Walt, with whatever power I have, I'm going to go along with what you said. And you all are now officially inducted into the uh, Sandlot <laughs> Hall of Fame. Yes, yeah, so I love it. I love that. I love it, man. Send us all the rings, all right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Hall of Fame. So it sounds to me like the Sandlot Baseball Player Hall of Fame members are Royal Barnett, Kelly Jefferson, Stanley Jefferson, Walt Garnett, and Ron Wolf, Ron Lewis. Excuse me. Uh, Ron Lewis, get it right. Yeah. And uh, George Tolliver and Lily Fitzhugh, thank you so much for moderating this conversation. It's been amazing to be able to be a part of this conversation with each of you gentlemen. I wish you all the best and may we all go forward powerfully and positively. God bless To stop conference recording, press one. To return to the con, this session is no longer being recorded.